Go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to Genesis chapter 26. We're going to be reading Genesis 26, 34 through 28, 9. So chapter 27, but just a, a little wider on either end. And uh, let me say, if you don't own a Bible, there are Bibles in your pew. Uh, and, and if not, there are certainly some in the back. Um, and you should feel free to take one of those Bibles in the pew. And if you don't own a Bible, feel free to take that home, write your name in the cover, keep it and read it and bring it back week after week as we study God's word together. Genesis 26, beginning with verse 34. Before we read that, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can draw near to you now uh, in the hearing of your word. And we pray that you would speak to us, uh, that you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts to receive everything that you have to say to us in the scriptures. Uh, Help us to enter into this story and uh, not not just see the, the characters of Isaac and Rebecca and Jacob and Esau, but help us to see your grace at work in the midst of it and help us to see Jesus more clearly because of it. Father, we pray that you would guide us by your spirit this morning, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis 26, beginning with verse 34. When Esau was 40 years old, he took Judith, the daughter of Beeri the Hittite, to be his wife, and Basemath, the daughter of Elon the Hittite, and they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. When Isaac was old... And his eyes were dim so that he could not see. He called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son. And he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt for game, and prepare for me delicious food such as I love. And bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau, bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless bless you before the Lord before I die. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats, so that I may prepare for them from them delicious food for your father, such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat, so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him, and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, let your curse be on me, my son, only obey my voice and go bring them to me. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother and his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house and put them on Jacob, her younger son, and the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. So he went into his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? 
Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, and felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. And he said, bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. His father, Isaac, said to him, who are you? He answered, I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came, and I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him lord over you and all his brothers. I have given to him for servants, and with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. And Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. She, so she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, 
Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to Laban, my brother in Haran, and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you, and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of both of you in one day? Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite women. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me? Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him, You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Padan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you, that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Thus Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Padane Ram to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob's and Esau's mother. Now Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padane Ram to take a wife from there, and that as he blessed him, he directed him, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite women, and that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and gone to Padane Ram. So when Esau saw that the Canaanite women did not please Isaac, his father, Esau went to Ishmael and took as his wife, beside the wives he had, Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebaioth. If I were to tell you that I have three proven steps to blessing, uh, you would probably be skeptical, and rightly so. You better be. Uh, Sometimes Christianity is seen and portrayed as a means of getting good stuff for yourself. God wants you to have the nice car, the trophy wife, the big house, the recognition you, quote, deserve, and all you've got to do is, is pray your blessing and claim it in Jesus' name. There are a lot of things wrong with that theology. Uh, For starters, many of the biggest prayers in the Bible by some of the most important people actually receive a no from God. Yeah, sometimes God says no to our prayers. Second, Jesus promises his people not lollipops and rainbows, but suffering, persecution, and trials. The name it, claim it, false gospel misunderstands the nature of blessing and the timing of blessing, as if blessing means God giving me everything I want now. But scripture would have us understand God's blessing as everything that is good according to God's will and in God's timing. God wants us to see blessing as first his favor, reconciliation and relationship with our father and joy in that increasing on into eternity. Other things flow from that, but that is the primary blessing and the the epicenter and the source of all else. And yet, if you look at the sermon title this morning, I'm still going to give you three steps to taking hold of blessing. But I hope you will see that these are not check boxes, right, to check off so that you can control God to manipulate him through prayer formulas or religious ceremonies or mercenary morality, but the way of wisdom and the path of the gospel that God has laid out for us. 
And yet what I'm going to say is still simple. And it does involve three steps. So how, how to take hold of blessing. One, recognize your sin. Uh, two, respect God's plan. And three, put on Christ. You may have noticed uh, that this story that we just read is fascinating. Uh, the Jacob story is amazing, isn't it? From beginning to end, the story is about God's sovereign blessing, but also Jacob's personal growth, how he moves from Jacob, the heel grasper, to Israel, the one who strives with God, from crooked to clinging. The key story, and we'll get here, the turning point is when Jacob wrestles with God in chapter 20, uh, 32. And he clings to God and he says in, in chapter 32, verse 26, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Well, in our passage this morning, Esau will plead with Isaac twice, bless me, even me, me too. But ultimately, Jacob receives the blessing, not Esau. Why is that? Why one and not the other? Why you and not your neighbor? Why one sibling and not another? Uh, some of this is certainly the, the mysteries of God's providence, but there are also other things that we can observe in this text. In our story this morning, Isaac calls in Esau to bless him. God blessed all creation in the beginning. Then when, with sin comes curse. God chooses Abraham to bless him and his descendants and all peoples through him. And in, in chapter 26, we saw Abimelech says to Isaac, you are now the blessed of the Lord. See, now that the, the, the blessing then has been passed from Abraham to Isaac, Isaac, before his death, wants to pass it along to Esau. So he calls in Esau to go hunt for him game and make some tasty food and bring it that Isaac might bless him. Rebecca, Isaac's wife, who prefers her second son, Jacob, overhears this exchange, and while Esau is on the hunt, cooks some tasty food, dresses up Jacob in Esau's clothes, and sends him in, in disguise, to receive the blessing of the elder brother. And the ruse works. Uh, Isaac blesses Jacob. By the time Esau gets there, it's too late, and he gets a kind of half-hearted blessing for which he hates his brother and plots to kill him. Rebecca, who is apparently a very skilled eavesdropper, overhears this too and has Isaac send Jacob away to save his life. That's the story. What are we to make of such a story? Well, I want us to see three things, ultimately, about how to take hold a blessing. And the first is recognize your sin. Uh, you know, sometimes as Christians, we think we can keep on living however we please, and God just has to bless us. Uh, especially those of us who really love and cherish the gospel of the free forgiveness of sins in Jesus, the, the gospel of justification by faith, the declaration that we are righteous by trusting in Jesus, uh, the, the gospel of reconciliation as a, a gift of God's free grace and the hope of the resurrection as an unearned inheritance. Those of us who cherish such things can sometimes be shy, skittish even, about the imperatives of the Christian life. We are hesitant to call people out for their sin. We, we see all guilt as a guilt trip, and so we avoid the subject of sin altogether. But take a moment and just notice the sin in this passage. Have you ever noticed when you come to the Bible, everybody, except one, is a sinner? 
And, and this book, and it, both the Bible and even especially maybe the book of Genesis, is full of sin. It is a record of the sinful acts of men and women. And, of course, the redemptive acts of a gracious God. But our text begins with Esau's sin. He takes two uh, Hittite wives. And this is a problem both because he is a bigamist, which while common in his day was still not right, but also because these are Hittite women. And the problem is not their ethnicity, but their religion. They did not worship the true God, Yahweh. And did you notice the result in Genesis 26, 35? They made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. Their pagan religion led them to a pagan way of life, which brought strife to this Yahweh-worshipping family. And I say this was Esau's sin, but maybe it was Isaac's. When Abraham, you may remember, was old, he made sure that Isaac would not marry a Canaanite, but would marry someone from his family. Isaac married Rebekah when he was 40 years old. But here in 2634, Esau is 40 years old. Why does Isaac not provide for his son, Esau, as his father Abraham did for him? Does it not matter to him as it did to Abraham? Does God's covenant and, and God's promises, do they not have the same import for Isaac as they did for Abraham? Why doesn't he provide for Esau as his father did for him? Well, next, Isaac calls Esau to come and prepare food that Isaac might bless him. And there are two things that, that are wrong with this picture. First, later, when a patriarch calls his sons to bless them, he calls all his sons. And yes, the elder brother in that culture would receive a double portion, but the other brothers, however many they were, would still receive a blessing. So why does Isaac only call Esau? Well, we're told in chapter 25, verse 28, that Isaac loved Esau, the implication over Jacob. And so favoritism is likely in view, but there's actually another even bigger problem with this picture. See, Isaac seems to be intentionally subverting God's purposes. And God said in a prophecy to Rebekah in 25:23 that, that the older would serve the younger. Esau would serve Jacob. Now, perhaps... Isaac doesn't call Jacob because Isaac doesn't like God's plan. Isaac prefers Esau. Isaac wants to subvert God's revealed purposes. No wonder he's leaving Jacob out of the picture. Well, not only God's purpose, of, of, of course, but remember, Esau had already sold his birthright. And an important question comes up here as to whether the birthright and the blessing are the same thing. Maybe I know some of you have had that question. I've had that question as well. Um, the, the answer, I think, is yes and no. Uh, Esau clearly sees them as distinct in verse 36, but the writer of Hebrews sees them as the same in Hebrews 12, 15 through 17, where it says that Esau sold his birthright for a single meal. That happened in Genesis 25. And then afterwards sought it with tears Genesis 27. You see, a birthright and a blessing, they're, they're logically distinct. The birthright was Esau's right as a firstborn son to the lion's share of the inheritance. The blessing was God's blessing on humanity given to Abraham. But of course, in this case, the birthright was the blessing. Uh, Esau's birthright was to receive the Abrahamic blessing. But Esau had sold that birthright. It was no longer his by right. Maybe Isaac didn't know that but he still knew God's prophecy that the older would serve the younger and he seeks to subvert God's plan. And keep looking at Isaac. What else do you notice about him? Uh, what's his chief concern? His chief concern here repeated again and again is the delicious food such as he loved. 
Uh, Proverbs 23, 3, and 6 are the only other place this word for delicious food is used, and those verses warn us against desiring the delicious food of a ruler of a stingy man. Isaac clearly has his heart set too much on what the Apostle John calls the desires of the flesh. Isaac is also blind, uh, which in and of itself obviously is not sinful, but often in Scripture is a metaphor for spiritual blindness. In fact, despite the trouble his son's pagan wives have caused him, Isaac doesn't seem to see the root spiritual problem in Esau. Being blind, what does he use to discern what is going on when Jacob shows up? He hears the voice of Jacob, verse 22, but he touches the goatskin and smells the robes and tastes the food and by those things decides that this is Esau. He doesn't trust his ears but his sense of touch and smell and taste. Now, Israelite religion is, is a religion of words. Deuteronomy 4.12, Moses says, when God spoke at Sinai, you heard the sound of words, but you saw no form. There was only a voice. Israel was to be a people that heard and did what God said. The New Testament says, faith comes by hearing, and we walk by faith and not by sight. Well, here's Isaac, blind, so he can't see, but he ignores his ears and he, know, he, he says the voice is the voice of Jacob, but he ignores that. And he trusts in smell and touch and taste to guide him. Isaac is pictured as a sensual, fleshly old man. His life race doesn't end particularly well here. He is more like his son Esau than his father Abraham. And then there's Rebecca. She overhears things. And let's assume for a second that that wasn't her intent. Uh, still, rather than confront her husband over his injustice to bless Esau and ignore Jacob, she schemes against his schemes. She may have the right intent, but she has the wrong methods. Yes, God had said the older will serve the younger. Yes, Isaac should bless Esau and Jacob, but not like this. She's a schemer and a, a manipulator, like her son Jacob will be after her. Which, of course, brings us to Jacob. He goes along with his mother's scheme. He's, he's not worried that it's, not, that it's not right, though he is concerned he might get caught. He lies to his father. He tricks a blind man and claims in verse 20, the Lord your God granted me success, taking God's name in vain. These things are not looked upon favorably in the rest of scripture. Jacob is a liar and a cheat. One commentator, Derek Kidner, says, all four participants in the present scene are almost equally at fault. Isaac, whether he knew of the sale or not, knew God's birth oracle of 2523, yet set himself to use God's power of blessing to thwart God's purposes. This is the outlook of magic and not religion. Esau, in agreeing to the plan, broke his own oath of 2533. Rebekah and Jacob, with a just cause, made no approach to God or man, no gesture of faith or love, and reaped the appropriate fruit of hatred." And so Isaac is spiritually blind and fleshly. Esau is fleshly and a bit dull. Rebekah is scheming and manipulative. Jacob is a liar, a trickster, a blasphemer who takes advantage of his father's disability. Deuteronomy 27, 18 says, Cursed be anyone who misleads a blind man on the road. Well, Isaac isn't on a road, but he is certainly being misled. Now we have, we have the advantage of distance here. We can step back and we can see the characters for what they are, and like us, they are all sinners. 
But we need to see one more thing, one more thing about Esau. In Genesis 25, 34, uh, it says that by selling his birthright, Esau despised his birthright. He did not value it properly. He did not value what God values. He valued the immediate fulfillment of the desires of his flesh. Esau is a fleshly man, but he thinks he can nevertheless expect the blessing of God. He, he does not repent. Oh, he's distraught here, distraught that he lost the blessing, but he's not grieved over his sin. Hebrews 12 says this. It says, see to it that, that no, uh, no one among you is unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it, sought the blessing with tears. Now that text, Hebrews 12, doesn't mean Esau wanted to repent, but was unable. Sometimes we read it that way. But it's saying that just that Esau wanted to change the situation, he sought the blessing with tears. He mourned not his sin, but his loss. He was unholy, godless, profane. Esau thought he could live a godless life, desire, despise what God values, and still expect material blessings. And of course, that's just not the way it works. You can't despise God and then demand his blessing. This is why Jesus' first words in ministry are, repent, own your sin, fess up to the ways you have fallen short. And Paul says in the New Testament, we read it earlier in 1 Corinthians 6, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Esau thinks he can continue in his sin and inherit the kingdom. Let me ask you, do you see your sin? Or do you pretend it doesn't exist? Uh, do you own it or do you make excuses? Have you confessed it to God or do you just let guilt fester in your soul? Do you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Now, you might rightly say, yeah, but Jacob's not much better than Esau. And that's true, which brings us to our next point. So how to take hold of blessing. The first thing is recognize your sin for what it is. But the second part is to respect God's plan. Many people go the opposite direction from an Esau, right? An Esau thinks, I can live an un ungodly life and expect that God will bless me. But a Jacob thinks, if I want God's blessing, I've got to work for it. I've got to jump through some hoops. I've got to scheme and trick and manipulate and steal whatever is necessary to get blessing. If I want it, I've got to go get it. And this is uh, for, for us control freaks in the room, right, who work hard to order our lives for our good. And it will take a while, but Jacob will learn that's not the way this works. God has a plan and God will bless. Isaac actually learns that here. Uh, fleshly Isaac blesses the, the, quote, wrong son. At least he thinks it's the wrong son. He means to bless Esau, but he's duped into blessing Jacob. And notice in verse 33, once Isaac realizes what happened, he trembles violently and he says of Jacob, yes, and he shall be blessed. 
Once Esau realizes what has happened, he too is distraught, and you can kind of sympathize with him. He cries out in verse 34, bless me, even me also. In verse 36, have you, have you not reserved a blessing for me? In verse 38, have you but one blessing? Bless me also. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. But Isaac insists that, that he, that is Jacob, shall be blessed. Verse 33, that he has taken away your blessing. Verse 35, what then can I do for you, my son? Verse 37. And here's my question. As you think about this and Isaac's insistence that Jacob will be blessed, what's the big deal? I mean, why is it so certain that Jacob shall be blessed? Does Isaac see the blessing like an, an incantation? Is it magic? Isaac said magic blessing words, and so Jacob shall be blessed. I don't think so. While it is true that the passing on a blessing is extremely important in Genesis, it's not magic. It is God's blessing. What Isaac realized in this moment is that he could not thwart God's purposes. God said before the twins were born, the older will serve the younger. Isaac, thinking he was blessing Esau, said, be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. He was trying to go against God's word. He was attempting to thwart God's purposes and plan. But in this moment, he realized God's purposes cannot be thwarted. Isaac's purposes were overthrown and God's purposes stand. And note this, it was, it was not because Jacob was more righteous that he got the blessing, clearly. God's choice came before the twins were born. So what was it? What was it that caused Jacob to get the blessing and not Esau? Well, uh, there's a, a lawyer at, that you may have heard of, Alan Dershowitz, who has a fascinating and mostly mistaken commentary on Genesis. And he says this. He says, if we are to read, J by mostly, I mean completely. Uh, <laughs> He says, if we are to read Jacob's life as a cautionary tale, warning against the wages of deception, which is already off, uh, why then did the wily Jacob find so much favor in God's eyes? It's a great question. Why did the wily Jacob find so much favor in God's eyes? Well, Dershowitz answers, in that culture, in order to succeed and not be victimized, an individual must rely on either violence or guile. The only two options in Dershowitz's mind, violence or guile. Accordingly, he, Jacob, must rely on his wit, he says. For Jacob, noble ends justify ignoble means, as long as the benefits outweigh the costs. Because his family is weak in number but strong in intellect, he prefers the weapon of wit over sword, Dershowitz goes on. He chooses the battlefield on which he can win. In a world without law, what better qualification for leadership could there be? Perhaps having Jacob born after his stronger brother was a test of his leadership skills. Can a second-born child depose his older brother from his natural status as leader? He passes the test with flying colors, though not without paying a heavy moral and psychological price. See, Dershowitz says, while not righteous, Jacob's virtue is his wit, his guile. But notice, right, did God choose Jacob because he was cunning? No. God chose him before the twins were born. You see, while scripture clearly teaches that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of heaven, and Jesus' first words to us are the call to repent, scripture also clearly teaches that God does not bless us because we are more righteous than others, or stronger, or more cunning, or anything else for that matter. And we struggle with this because we always want to secure God's love by connecting it to something we can do. That leaves us in control. 
If I read my Bible more, God will bless me. Or if I obey the rules, God will bless me. Or if I have good theology, God will bless me. Or if I practice social justice, God will bless me. But it is not so. How does Paul put it in Romans 9, verses 10 through 16? He says, when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? Paul says, by no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. And so on the one hand, the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. But on the other, it depends not on human will or work, but on God who has mercy. So where does that leave us? Should we just throw up our hands and say, well, God's in control. I guess we just don't have to worry about it. Does this lead to fatalism, giving up? The righteous do not inherit, but it's not our righteousness that inherits. So what do we do? Well, that leads us to our last point. How to take hold of blessing. Recognize your sin. Respect God's plan. It's about his plan and his purposes. You can't scheme and manipulate God into blessing you. That's not the way it works. So what then? Three, third, put on Christ. It's not about your schemes. It's not about your works. It's not about your righteousness. So what? We must put on the righteousness of another. How does Jacob come to his father? Clothed in the garments of his elder brother. What finally convinces Isaac is the smell of his brother's garments, which couldn't have been a good smell. You might think this is a one-off oddity, right, this whole clothing image, but it quickly becomes a theme in the book of Genesis and beyond. Joseph is given a, a robe, which represents his status in the family. Jacob will be tricked when his sons take Joseph's robe and dip it in a goat's blood. Judah will be tricked when Tamar, his daughter-in-law, removes her widow's garments and dresses in the clothes of a prostitute. Joseph will be falsely accused with his garments as evidence against him. When Joseph rises to power in Egypt, one of the first things Pharaoh does is give him a garment of fine linen. Clothes represent glory and guilt throughout the book of Genesis, which really began with Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve disobeyed and they realized they were naked, but God clothes them in garments of skin. Eventually, the high priest in Israel will be given robes, and the text says, for beauty and for glory. And only when clothed in those priestly robes will they be allowed to enter into the presence of God in the holy place. Later, the high priest Joshua will be found to have soiled his garments, and Satan accuses him in Zechariah 3, but God strips off the soiled garments, and he says, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. You see, the only way to receive the Father's blessing is to come before him in the right garments. It's not a fluke, it's a theme. And so Jesus comes, where the first Adam failed, the second Adam comes to take his place. In this case, the younger brother, the second Adam, takes the clothes of the elder brother, the first Adam, by clothing himself in humanity. And he does that not to take the elder brother's blessing, but to bear his curse. But then Jesus offers for us to clothe ourselves in his righteousness and resurrection glory, so that clothed in Christ, we might come before the Father and receive his blessing. 
You see, God has a sovereign plan to bless younger brothers who come to him clothed in the garments of the elder brother. So we must recognize our sin, that not only do we not deserve God's blessing, we deserve his judgment. You and I have been unholy like Esau, schemers like Jacob, manipulative like Rebekah, followed our belly like Isaac. Recognize your sin. But also respect God's plan, that that his love is not dependent on you. It's, It's not dependent on your behavior, your righteousness, your abilities, your strength, or your wit. Nevertheless, God has a plan to bless all who come to him in Jesus. And so believe in Jesus. Put on Christ. He is righteous. God's plan is to bless those who draw near to him, clothed in the righteousness of our elder brother Jesus. So put on Christ and then rest safe and secure in him. Let's pray. Our Father, help us to see Jesus more clearly and to rest in him and in his righteousness. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.